Welcome to the Dead Celebrities Podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Celebrity Estate Planning Podcast presented by WealthManagement.com. My name is David Lenick, and I'm a senior editor with Wealth Management and Trust in Estates. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a single celebrity estate, be it a planning snafu, a familiar fight, or even just a good example of the power of proper planning. And from that high-profile and often ridiculous example, myself and a guest attempt to boil down to some lessons that advisors can use with their more typical clients. The idea being that celebrity estates, though the details are often more bombastic sort of than your typical client, generally face the same obstacles and issues as those of regular people, and the volume's just kind of turned up. So it makes them interesting and valuable case studies. We're pleased to welcome back our first repeat guest this week, Megan Gorman. Um, Megan is the founding partner of Checkers Financial Management, which is a fee-only planning firm that specializes in high net worth and ultra-high net worth families in San Francisco. Uh, Checkers focuses on establishing long-term relationships with families and helps them navigate through tax, estate, liquidity, and investment planning. And Megan heads the firm's family office services practice. She's a regular Forbes contributor and is also quoted regularly in the press as a tax and financial planning expert, including such publications as the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and Moneyish, among others, including wealthmanagement.com. She regularly blogs at www.thewealthintersection.com, and she first joined us in our third episode to discuss Carl Lagerfeld and the merits of estate planning for pets, so check her out after the episode. Our celebrity subject this week is legendary singer-songwriter Tom Petty. Uh, sadly, Tom succumbed to the great rock star cliche uh, when he sadly died in October 2017 from an accidental drug overdose at the age of 66. Adria Petty and Anakim Violet, who are his two daughters from his first marriage to Jane Banyo, filed suit in Los Angeles Supreme Court against his widow in, in April, uh, Dana York Petty, and they sort of had a big dispute about the singer-songwriter's catalog and estate. Um, sort of according to the complaint, the daughters accused Dana of failing to fund Petty Unlimited LLC, which was set up to equally divide the trust assets among the three. Uh, instead, Dana allegedly set up a separate company called Tom Petty Legacy LLC uh, as a vehicle through which to deprive Adrian and Anakim of their rightful assets. That's a direct quote from their complaint, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, before we get to the, the real crux of the matter, I first just going to touch on the elephant uh, in this and many other estate conflicts room, and that is we're dealing with a blended family. Uh, kids and step-parents not getting along is sort of an estate planning tale as old as time, and it you know almost certainly played a role in if not instigated this conflict, certainly inflaming it. Uh, it even leaks into the legal documents themselves. Uh, for example, Dana's complaint includes the following passage. Although Petitioner did everything in her power to treat Adria and Amicum as family, the documents say, sadly, they and their particular, and in particular, Adria have repeatedly demonstrated their resentment over their father's love of Petitioner and her role in his life. So a lot of these things need to be taken with that, you know, viewed through that lens. That all being said, the cause of much of this tension appears to be rooted in the wording of the late singer's trust. Uh, Adria and Anakim claimed that the terms of their father's trust grants them, quote-unquote, equal participation in the decision-making concerning the handling of his estate. And in response to that interpretation, you know, Dana filed a petition in court 
accusing the daughters of trying to rule by majority and asserting that as the sole trustee of, and authority to manage the estate, she should have final say. So yeah, this whole dispute appears to be over what equal means. Um, and at this point, I feel safe in assuming that our attorney listeners are leaning in saying, ooh, interesting. And the rest of our audience is rolling their eyes as hard as they possibly can at the sort of shenanigans lawyers can use to pick a fight. Uh, before all the non-attorneys simply just tune out, uh, please take a moment to look past the inherent legal ridiculousness of arguing over the meaning of equal and appreciate how this particular example highlights the absolute importance of clarity and precision in an estate plan. The difficulty inherent in attempting to adhere to the wishes of a person who is no longer able to explain themselves is such that, yes, even saying that decision-making should be handed equally you know, may not be clear enough. So, Megan, if equal isn't clear enough, what can advisors do? Yeah, I mean, first of all, David, thank you for having me back on the show. Uh, thrilled to be here. And I'm a huge Tom Petty fan. I don't know about you. No, absolutely. Um, I, think, I think pretty much everyone is. Yeah, I mean, so so the fact that this has happened with his estate. I think it, big picture, you know, we're starting to get so used to this happening with celebrities. Um, but it is sort of disappointing that it did happen with Tom Petty as well. I think because for for so many of us who loved him for so long, he seemed to really, you know, understand what it was like to have artistic control and artistic freedom. And those were two elements that were really, really important to him over the course of his career. Um, but I think going to your point about the term equal in estate planning, I think this, this comes down to the fact, I think there's a couple of issues here at play, you know, beyond the idea that the language was vague and at times just rather opaque. I, I think that when you have these high profile clients and particularly ones like a Tom Petty who is known for having a particular point of view. I think from an estate planning standpoint, before you even start getting into the drafting, there are certain challenges just from a, in, I don't want to say intimidation, but you know these people are surrounded at all times by yes people. And so I think when you go through the estate planning process and you're going through all of the choices that have to be made, you know, at a certain point in time, what you, what you've got to wonder is back in the in the room when they were doing the estate plan, and they said to Tom, you know, Tom, well, how do you want this to be handled? You know, do they all get an equal share? The question is, was there a lot of debate about this when he was when they were drafting it, or was was he the type of estate planning client that we all have, who? who either doesn't want to deal with it or doesn't want to hear it or doesn't even want to go down the path of trying to to understand that the word equal could mean so many different things. And I think, David, you've been in those situations as well where you've seen clients sort of turn off as you try to go through language with them. Yeah, I think that's uh, you know, part of the major challenge of estate planning, right, is that you're dealing with, you know, first, your mortality, right, which is difficult for people to reckon with in the first place. And also now you're sort of creating a transaction, right? You're, you're creating a contract effectively about what's going to happen for their stuff after they die. And, um, you know, the conversations like, you know, when you're, when you're actually getting to the nitty gritty of the language of how exactly are we going to break things up, I think it, it's an easy way out often for a client to just say, oh, equal, because it, it almost feels, uh, you know, mercenary or, or untoward somehow to really um, 
lay it out like a, an actual transactional contract would do for a similar sort of situation. Right. And I think the other challenge we have with clients on the estate planning front, and, and this is where the, the term equal, I think, plays in, is you often run into clients, even the sophisticated high net worth individuals out there who believe all estate plans are created equal and that we all understand the language and the, the documents as interchangeable. Yeah, and I think that's a point, especially that uh, you know, maybe our attorney uh, listeners will, will inherently appreciate, but that our advisor listeners may not. Um, so if you don't mind uh, expanding on it a little bit. Yeah, I think that language is so important as an attorney. And one of the conversations as a planner or an advisor you have to have with your clients when you're bringing in some of the sophisticated estate planners out there is you have to explain it's a bit of an art that, you know, when you go to pick an estate planner, one of the reasons you, one of the things you want to look at is their ability to craft really strong language that represent your wishes. And that if you look at the entire estate planning world, one of the risks that are out there, particularly for high net worth uh, individuals, is having a basic boilerplate type of estate plan will probably not want, not probably not work for you. That you are much better going to a firm that is constantly crafting language, is shaping the language based on new case law that's coming out to make sure that a client's intent is crystal clear. And, and I can just tell you, I just had this experience last week where I just took on a new client, read the estate plan, and I looked at my colleagues and said, I have no idea what this this one part of the estate plan means. It was so vague and opaque. And when I finally broached it with the client, and I think a lot of estate planners and advisors run into this, the client agreed. I never understood that section. And it gave me a good entry point to actually lay out how the estate planning world works. So I think for those of us who work with the high net worth individuals, explaining to them that language matters and that when you, you know, paying $1,000 for an estate plan and maybe paying $25,000 for an estate plan, it doesn't mean you're getting the same documents. Often what you're paying for is very carefully crafted language. And so I think when you, when you start to look at the Tom Petty case in this, right, and you start to look at the fact that, you know, a lot of people just sort of assume it's, it's one, one size fits all for estate planning. And then you layer what you talked about earlier, David, which is sort of the the family aspects to this. And for those who haven't really understood Tom Petty's background, Tom Petty was married to a woman he was a high school in high school with. They were sweethearts, married for 24 years, had the two daughters, but they had a very volatile relationship. And at the end of the relationship, there was um, Tom Petty fell into drug addiction. So, you know, what you what you have here. And then he, he obviously remarried. So what you have here is a fact pattern that I think a lot of us actually deal with because a lot of us deal with blended families. A lot of us deal with families where a member might have addiction. And, you know, obviously this is all speculative based on, on what's been written about Tom Petty, but there was a lot of emotional volatility in his personal life um, with his wife and his children and so on. And so I think when you, when you take that and sort of overlay it on estate planning and you take back, go back to that language of equal, I think when you talk to Tom Petty, if you were doing his estate plan to him, he might've seen his wife and his daughters from another marriage that got along because in his point of view, in front of him, they might have gone along. And so I think when you're, you know, you've got to be careful on language, 
but I think it's also really pushing on clients. And this is where I think advisors have to bring attorneys in earlier and have to really explain to the estate attorney what's going on here, because you've got to be able to say to a Tom Petty client, okay, what does this mean? How does this play out? So, so your wife puts this, you know, the artistic interest into this LLC and they are to be decided upon it equally. Well, what happens if your daughters disagree? And this is really where I think in the estate planning process, the errors were made because I think it's, it's up to the advisors and the attorneys to really challenge the client. And when you have a client who's wealthy or who's well-known, that is sometimes a hard discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up two very separate but equally interesting points there. You know, the first is the idea of planning, you know, estate planning for an addict. I think that that's, and again, alleged. Everything that we say in this podcast comes with the in here allegedly before it. We don't know that any of this is necessarily true. This is just based on the documents and sort of hearsay. But generally, when you're talking about estate planning and you're factoring in addiction, you're trying to factor it in in terms of the person who's the beneficiary, right? It's like a, I have a child who maybe is in rehab or has had a history of addiction. And that's sort of the, the lens that that particular problem usually arises in estate planning. Planning for the, you know, the testator himself is potentially an addict um, is an entirely different and, and very uh, you know, unique process. The second point of sort of getting through to the, to the, you know, the client that you know, the importance of precision and language and digging deep into their relationships that you know, maybe are one way in front of them and another way behind their back is addressing the point that you know, in getting across that they're not going to be there. Right. And, and I think a lot of clients don't really appreciate how that's going to impact their plan and how that's going to impact their family. You know, especially in a blended family, you know, Tom Petty is the one person he's, that's linking these people together. And when he's sort of taken out, then now you're looking at an entire different relationship. And beyond the fact that he's just not there to explain what he actually meant. Well, and I think also, David, I think the other thing to think about is also who gets priority? Is it a spouse or is it the children? And, you know, to some degree in the family relationships here, most people consider their spouse their first priority, followed by the children. And that, I think, was something that should have been pressed upon with him. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's also entirely possible that that was pressed upon, and he thought he was addressing it with this with this equal pronouncement um, and just didn't quite appreciate the fact that, you know, in the way they'd worded it, equal could mean that, you know, the children get collectively one vote and the spouse gets one vote or doesn't mean that the children each get one vote of their own and the spouse gets a third vote. So the children kind of take a majority rules approach or as you know, Dana argues is that she's the, uh, the executor of the estate and in charge of literally everything else, that she should also just be in charge of this and the children just have like an equal advisory opportunity. Correct. And I think one of the things that might've happened here as well is we learn from things that are around us. So if you, you know, Tom Petty's, one of Tom Petty's closest friends was George Harrison, who passed in 2001. And if you, you know, obviously the Harrison estate um, was under British law, but, you know, if you look at how the Harrison estate has been handled over the past 18 years, his wife and his son have run it together very, very amicably and have done a, an amazing job with it. Um, so I, I often wonder when I think about Tom Petty, was he looking at other rock families that he knew 
and saying, my family would do that as well. And, and, you know, without actually looking at the fact that his family might have had a different dynamic than, say, the George Harrison family. And often, yeah, I agree. Often with, uh, you know, sort of wealthy families and any family, really, you, know, you kind of want to discourage people from looking at their neighbors and like sort of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Where it's like, oh, well, they've got this. Why don't I have <laughs> right. this? Um, but in an, estate planning, in an estate planning context, that can actually be kind of a useful exercise, right? If you don't have the sort of self-awareness, which few of us do, to sort of look at yourself and be like, okay, these are the problems that are, could arise when I'm not here anymore. You can just look at your, you know, your wealthy neighbor or someone at the country club or whatever and think of all the horror stories you've heard about like, oh, well, you know, Phil died and now his kids, you know, hate his ex-wife and, you know, hate step, their stepmother. And instead of sit, sitting there and saying, well, that could never happen to me, maybe you, know, you look at the Joneses and you, you sort of learn the lesson from, from exactly. their issue. Exactly. And I think the thing is, if you, if you think about it, you know, what Tom Petty had seen when, when people he knew in the music business had passed is most of it had stayed relatively, I think, you know, classy and elegant, right? And I think one of the things that's come out in this, which I think is interesting from an intellectual property standpoint, is part of the rumors that were out there about this case that you might have heard, David, was that they were debating almost a salad dressing, like a la Paul Newman, from the Tom Petty brand. Now, whether this is true or not, obviously, it's 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 all just what's out in the press. But I think for people who work with artists, um, it brings up, or, or people who have a well-known name and persona, I think it brings up the language issue in a different sense, which is how do these individuals protect their name and image as, you know, as they pass, right? I mean, we all know that Marilyn Monroe's estate is actually owned by people who never actually knew Marilyn Monroe. Um, and so, you know, when you hear those things, what else could the, could Tom Petty have done to protect his image once he passed. Absolutely. And, you know, even though you know, your more typical client, your high net worth client, may not necessarily have a, a, an image you know, or a, a body of work like this that needs to be preserved, um, they almost certainly have values that they want to put forth and that they want to pass on, you know, to future generations and be it through philanthropy or, you know, be it through their plan. And this is, you know, the last opportunity to sort of try to do that and 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 pass those values forward and, and pass that image forward, even if it's not necessarily the sort of image that you would have to pay image rights for. Uh, it's an image nonetheless that still has value to that person and that right. family. I agree completely. And this is where, you know, I think it's it's part of the the advisor's role to to consistently be explaining to the client that estate planning is a living process. And as your assets change or who you are changes in the public sphere, you've got to constantly be reviewing it again and again. And, you know, I think playing out those bad aspects. Um, I think, unfortunately for Tom Petty, he's given a number of us now a another story to add to our, our stories that we share with clients to sort of get them to understand how important precise language in a document is and understanding familiar relationships are. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, uh, I think, an area where, you know, estate planners can't fight the battle alone because I think a lot of the, the reticence to come back to, you know, revisit estate plans is because it's by its nature a deeply <laughs> uncomfortable process. And you know, your estate planner can keep calling you and you only, you only see him, you know, what, even if you're really staying on top of things twice a year, if things are really changing. 
But you see your financial advisor more than that. And in that area, the financial advisor can be a real ally and really help the client by also stressing this need to revisit the estate plan. You know, a new house was bought, a grandchild was born. The financial advisor probably knows about these things long before the estate planning attorney does. And so he can really help both the client and, you know, the plan by sort of being the first wave of fight in this battle to, you know, overcome the reticence to come back and deal with this uncomfortable process sort of over and over again. Yeah, the the advisor is living it in real time. And so their insights are incredibly valuable. And 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 you know, unfortunately for estate planners, and I do see this shifting, but you know, a lot of times it's seen as a transactional that that occurs. And so I think the challenge for advisors out there is you know, and and a, and a lot of advisors partner with attorneys, but to help your attorney peers I think it's also making sure that the conversations are going on about the value of the estate planning fee. I can't tell you how often when I say to a client, okay, we've got to go back to the attorney. We've got to go and fix this. This is an issue. You know, you get from the client this sort of like, what is this going to cost me now? And I say this sitting in California, I know you're in New York City, you know, there is this, this frustration that Every time you talk to the estate planning attorney, it's so expensive. And so I think for advisors at the beginning of working with families, and in particular, these wealthy families, there has to be the discussion of, look, in order to grow the wealth, there has to be costs incurred to protect the wealth. And it might seem annoying to you to have to spend a few thousand dollars or 10000 or $20,000 every few years to get this stuff fixed. But your family will spend much more after you're gone fighting it out if you don't do the work today. And I think that the the attorney cost of estate planning has to be positioned correctly. And and for advisors who work with attorneys, ask your attorney yeah. colleagues, how do how should I position this? Most attorneys I know are very good at at providing a value proposition on that. Yeah, and just to expand, this is a great point. And I'm actually going to share a uh, personal anecdote that's sort of right in the wheelhouse of this. I know most of our listeners tuned in for uh, the celebrity aspect of things, but <laughs> you're getting a little bonus uh, Dave Lennick info here. You know, a friend of mine, sadly, uh, a few years back, his father passed unexpectedly. And you know, I wouldn't call their family wealthy, but you were dealing with uh, a double-digit number of millions of dollars. So it was a not insignificant sum. Um, and this friend of mine, is a uh, he's a physician. And he kept asking, calling me. I told him, you know, I'll help you any way I can, but you know, I can't actually get involved in the legal aspect of this just ethically. And um, he would keep coming back to me with, you know, he would do all this internet research, and I keep telling him, go get a estate planning attorney and get on this, you know, and get these things fixed because for your mom, it's who's still alive, it's going to get bad, you know, if you don't have things prepared. And he would keep going like, okay, maybe, but it's so expensive. Oh my God. And he would come back to me with all these internet printouts and he would go to LegalZoom and he would go to all these sites. And he's like, why can't I just do all of this myself? I'm a smart guy. And he would keep saying that. And I'd be like, finally, I sat around. I'm like, listen, like you're a doctor. When you have patients walk in with reams of papers from WebMD, doesn't that just drive you completely insane? And isn't it just foolish? And he's like, <laughs> oh yeah. And I'm like, that's exactly what you're doing right now. And he's like, oh, well, I, you know, I never really thought about it that way. And it's like, listen, like there's, they charge these prices for a reason. They charge it because it's worth it. I wouldn't be telling you to do it if it wasn't worth it. So just, you know, you have to look at it like it's a, you're going to the estate doctor and he's, you know, that's it. And you've got to pay for it to get healthy. So, yeah, he, he eventually uh, 
the message got through to him. I, uh, I did have to go behind his back uh, to get his mother involved, which is, I know, the, the lowest of blows. But at a certain point, um, you got to use everything in your arsenal to get the job done. Um, that's all the time we have for today. And I would just like to really give a heartfelt thanks to Megan Gorman for, uh, for joining us and, and really sharing her insight and being such a great guest. David, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun talking Tom Petty. Uh, I think that this case will keep going and we'll, we'll learn more, but um, I think it gives us a lot of great material to work with our clients to provide a better estate planning experience. So thank you for having me on. Thank you again, Megan. And, and to our listeners, we'll uh, see you guys hopefully in, in a couple of weeks with the next episode of the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.